You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, and welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Today, we'll be talking with two guests from MITRE who are excited to share some advanced insight into what readers can look forward to in their refreshed and updated edition of 11 Strategies for Operating a World-Class Cybersecurity Operations Center, the CSOC. I'm joined today by Catherine Merler and Ingrid Parker, who co-authored the book with Carson Zimmerman, Before I turn it over to Catherine and Ingrid to introduce themselves, I do want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask my guests to take a moment to introduce themselves. Ingrid, let's start with you. Great. Thanks, Casey. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. So my current role is as a Division Chief Engineer within the MITRE Corporation, and in this role, I get to work with our sponsors across a number of different cybersecurity areas. So that means one day I might be working with Hunt and Cyber Threat Intel teams, helping them to better integrate their functions, and the next day I might be engaging with a CISO to assist them as they mature their overall cybersecurity programs. Prior to MITRE, I worked for Northrop Grumman, and there I was doing hands-on incident response before I moved into forensics and malware analysis. And even before that, I was a system administrator for the Army. So I like to say I've done full-stack cyber from the zeros and ones all the way up to working with senior decision makers. And that really is the sweet spot for me. I truly enjoy bringing together the tactical and strategic perspectives and working with organizations to think about how they unite their defensive approaches across their entire cybersecurity program. Hi, Casey. I'm glad to be here. So I've been in the cybersecurity field for decades certainly long before it was cool. And I've worked on everything from detection design and architecture to incident response and directing a security operations center. And I got my start early. I knew I wanted to work in computers because as a kid, I was motivated by creating computer games and I taught myself to code. So in high school, by that time, I worked for the Navy in a co-op program for my high school And I designed a voice-activated workstation prototype. And the idea there was to create something that was accessible for those who didn't know how to type. So we wanted computers to be accessible for everyone. But labor is about what you've done lately, right? So currently, I'm the department manager for our Cyber New Professionals program. It's a program that I designed with my colleagues for those who are new to the cyber field and have a demonstrated interest in it. So we give a little more attention and a few more worker opportunities and more resourcing to our selected members. And that is hopefully to boost their career and start them off right in cybersecurity. So I think it's safe to say um, at this point, I'm really passionate about ensuring that experts are passing on their knowledge to those that are coming behind us so they can build on it rather than starting from scratch with each generation, and especially true in cybersecurity operations. Thank you, Catherine, and thank you, Ingrid, as well. And I'm glad to have both of you with me here today as experts who are willing to share your knowledge. So appreciate you joining us. Catherine, I want to start with you and ask if you can maybe share with our listeners why you wrote this book. Um, when is it coming out? What was your experience of updating the book? And What makes this book 
stand apart from others? We appreciate the opportunity. This is actually a second edition of the book, and the first edition was written by Carson Zimmerman, and the new book is due out this upcoming winter. We've received a lot of attention and a lot of interest in the first edition and a lot of requests for the second edition of it. So the first one was dated circa 2014, so we're hoping by updating with cloud and other things that the new one will bring us up to the present. Um, it probably helps that it was free. Uh, we have a free PDF version, and we wanted to keep the book accessible to anybody who wants it who's out there. So the book gets people started in security operations, and, you know, it provides a few pointers across a broad range of topics specific to a CSOC, of course, security operations. So in the second edition, uh, we've amped it up to 11 strategies. The first one was 10. You get a bonus strategy this round. So we've included this time how to balance your CSOC's incident response mission with supporting functions, such as threat intelligence and threat hunting. Um, we talk about the importance of growing staff in-house, and we talk about why the CSOC has to constantly evolve and keep moving forward. I love it. And I love that you bumped it up and, and everyone gets a bonus strategy in this new edition. But, Ingrid, I would love to ask, you know, there has to be more than just one more strategy that you want to add, right? So how did you all arrive at that 11th strategy? And and the 11 strategies altogether that you'll talk about today, was there consensus among you? Was there a process for negotiating? Which would be the strategy that's added? Yeah, so Casey, there was absolutely no agreement on where to go with the book from the beginning. Um, and absolutely a lot of negotiating as we went through. And it wasn't because there was disagreement, it's just because there's so much content in this space. So many things we could have talked about, so many ideas that we had. So what we did is we actually started by figuring out a few core elements that we knew we wanted to include. You know, things like, you know, how has your sensing and monitoring program changed? You know, so what does cloud mean? What does zero trust mean? Those types of areas. Um, thinking about, you know, new technologies, all, all kinds of different pieces. And we took that and actually socialized it within our company leadership to get that buy-in, just to get us to be able to get started and start thinking about what was out there. And then we cut into the weeds fast. Um, you can envision us, you know, in a big room, multiple whiteboards, uh, lots of sticky notes being moved around. We solicited input from other people in our company because we have, you know, many experts in our company, you know, that know areas maybe in more depth than our core writing team did. We want to make sure we we're bringing all those different perspectives in. Um, and I think what I found most interesting was how our thoughts about the book changed over time. Our original plan was to just do a light update of the book, but as the discussions evolved, we really realized how much had truly changed since the first edition of the book came out in 2014. And that really was about a mindset change, um, both in the way the SOC fits into the business and how the SOC executes its own mission. You know, at this point, there's so much more awareness of the role of the SOC. There's such a better understanding by non-IT leadership about the importance of security operations. And this means the SOC needs to really be better positioned to explain its roles and share its value. And so we added a lot of content talking about how you form a SOC, how you communicate the SOC value. Then we also really thought about that evolution in technology and analysis approaches. Um, that includes, like, where and how to sense within your environment, how to think about the adversary. And as we were working through those changes, they were actually a lot more significant than we thought they would be. Um, seven years is a long time in this industry, and the amount of changes that we wanted to do 
took us by surprise. And so when you think about those 11 strategies, it's not that we added one strategy. It really was that we took all of this content, laid it out, realized that we needed to go with kind of a new framework. Um, we do pull in some of the old content, but there was a lot that we added into it. And we actually were really excited when we realized it would fit into 11 chapters. And that seemed like the perfect way to build on the original title. Uh, we do still have a few appendices, so a little more content than 11, but we didn't think that was cheating. Um, so we're, we're really happy with the fact that we were able to put in so many new ideas and bring a lot of updated thinking to where the book has gone. That's fantastic. And I love, I mean, you're right. It probably could have been 20 strategies, right? But, you know, you have to make it digestible and meaningful uh, so that people can really take it from it and use the guidance that you're offering. And, Kevin, I know that part of the goal of this book is indeed just that, to offer guidance on how to balance the CSOC's um, core incident response mission with other supporting functions. So can you explain a little bit about why incident response is really that acid test of your other cybersecurity practices? Yeah, definitely. Right. So incident response is the pointy end or the stabby end of the areas in, in cybersecurity, or in, especially within security operations and actually across the whole enterprise. Incidents create an opportunity. They create an opportunity for on-the-job testing of your defense and your detections and your designs. And my observation is it's really all about incident response. If you're not very good at that, you're probably not very good at the other aspects of security operations or of defense. And, of course, it's my opinion. It can be controversial at times. So how do you know whether your cyber defenses are working and that you're detecting malicious activity? Well, it's through your incidents and your incident response. If an intruder is in your network and an outside organization tells you about it, your defense has failed you. And they failed you both in the detection and in the protection. So Good responders are good at reverse engineering how they got in, how the bad guys got in, and why it went undetected. And once you figure that out, um, you can then adjust the defenses. So as a concrete example, if an intruder exploits a zero-day or a previously unpublicized vulnerability, the security operations team would determine, hopefully accurately, <laughs> what happened. And then ideally, they would share that information with the vulnerability management team to ensure that the discovered vulnerability is either patched immediately or somehow the exposure to it is reduced. But if a responder doesn't know how something happens, they really can't share it with any other teams. And then the enterprise focuses on patching everything rather than prioritizing based on actual activity. So incidents are a stabby way to learn. They're not ideal, but they shouldn't be undervalued for the learning potential for the rest of the enterprise team, and often we don't share enough about what happened in incidents. So the motivation is to learn from them and adjust your defenses and prevent them, or at least tune your detection sensors so you can find them earlier in all the unwanted activities in your enterprise. I really appreciate that perspective. I've not heard that before in terms of, you know, the usefulness of the learning tool of incident response. I really appreciate that, and I'm sure that um, it's expounded upon in the book, which readers will benefit from. Ingrid, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about staffing, because really implementing these strategies effectively largely depends on the skill set of your team, doesn't it? So can you share your perspective on the importance of hiring staff 
who have a growth mindset while also developing staff internally. Absolutely. Uh, I think all of us, myself, Catherine Carson, we all are very aware of the shortage of the cybersecurity talent. Um, and all of us are passionate about growing the teams we work with, you know, whether that's somebody who's completely new to the field, somebody who's been doing this for a number of years but is ready for a new challenge. Um, and so in the book, we really wanted to highlight the importance of, you know, mindset and growth across the full life cycle of somebody working in security operations. So that typically will start with hiring. And here we wanted to emphasize that you shouldn't just look for the candidate that can be every one of your needs today. You really need to consider the candidate that can grow to become the person you need tomorrow. There just aren't enough people with the qualifications to make it possible to hire exactly what you have to have at this moment. You have to do that internal growth. And so when you are trying to hire, you want to find those people who show an aptitude for learning new concepts quickly. Um, and certainly in the book, we talk about some of those best practices, you know, like using behavioral interviewing questions, such as show me a time when. You know, so that way you can get a real feel for people's ability to do problem solving in action. And then once you have somebody on the team, it's time to start thinking about how they learn and grow. And when we talk about growth, it's not just the growth you might expect to come from something like mentoring or training. Um, these are, of course, really important. It's also about the growth of the SOC capacity as a whole. So one area we touch on that may not be at the front of everyone's mind is the link between improving your SOC capabilities and your SOC personnel satisfaction. Um, so if you think about it, you know, SOC team members that are working with outdated tools or processing everything manually can become frustrated really easily. And it's not to say that you have to have the newest of every technology, um, but if you can look for ways to improve processes so analysts can move on to the next challenge rather than feeling stuck, that's going to be a much more engaging workplace for them than if they're doing the same thing over and over every day. And if you've hired and grown those problem solvers, they're going to want those new challenges. They're not going to be wanting to do the inefficient thing. So really thinking about your SOC practices as a growth and retention strategy is really important. And then finally, when you think about growth, you have to think about turnover. You know, turnover in a SOC is inevitable. Ideally, you want that turnover to be low, but it's still going to happen. Um, however, if you plan for it, then you can also use it as a growth opportunity for your staff. So if you've done your cross-training, if you've had staff share their work and knowledge routinely, if you've had staff you know, document their responsibilities as they're doing them, you're going to be in a much stronger position for when you do have resignation. And then you can turn to your workforce, and ideally, you're going to have people that are ready to be promoted. You're going to have people that are ready to take a lateral move to a different team because they've been picking up these new skills as they're going along. And so it's less of an impact for your SOC every time that somebody leaves because you're already growing and shaping that team to move in there. Um, and I know this sounds like a lot of work, uh, and it is, and sometimes you're going to invest a lot in someone who leaves, but we really believe that the community is still small in so many ways and that your SOC reputation matters. And if you've got a reputation as a SOC that grows people rather than burns them out, you can have such an easier time hiring the next person while also retaining a higher portion of your staff. So you've really got to have that growth mindset across your entire life cycle of bringing people in and working with them in your SOC. Yeah, Ingrid's right about that. Great people beget great people. Also in security, it's important to understand that it's inevitable that these great people that you've groomed and spent all this time on, they're going to leave, even if the SOC attracts a lot of talent. So building a pipeline into that model, so plan to hire more people, 
and to provide them with exciting opportunities and on-the-job training for growth. And CMP, the program I mentioned earlier, was designed as a pipeline with all of this in mind. And so, Catherine, I wonder if you can talk a little bit just about in terms of, you know, training, educating staff. What are some of the things that that staff in the SOC needs to be thinking about in terms of how to anticipate adversaries? Right. The thing about anticipating adversaries is there is no silver bullet. There's no autopilot. You can't just connect a bunch of cyber threat intelligence data feeds that are streaming alerts into your enterprise and expect that your incident responders are going to stop your adversaries in their tracks. Um, Instead, you have to start to understand what an adversary might do through its really pure brain sweat equity. You know, it's through analysis, it's through knowledgeable people, and sometimes it's with the aid of automation. But analysis needs to be very specific to each organization and to the intellectual property that goes along with it for this to be effective. Um, Taking someone else's CTI isn't going to buy you your CTI and isn't going to buy your prevention and anticipation of adversaries. So the grand challenge or holy grail of security operations is to stop an adversary before they gain an unwanted foothold in your networks. Um, yet, if you're seeing them in the technology, it's usually too late. So you can't rely on the technology indicators alone. By definition, um, we find them after the fact and after they've gotten a foothold if you're seeing them. So the key to getting in front of them is through spending some time thinking about the adversaries and combining data in meaningful ways through critical and creative thinking. So it's a little like chess. If you want to be great at it, you have to study not only the moves of the great players, but you also have to know how to create new moves in context as they relate in the moment or in the enterprise. So in our book, we challenge security operations to examine three aspects of data to begin anticipating those adversaries. The first one is obvious. It's adversary information. So you want to look at TTPs, such as the attack framework that MITRE puts out, um, what are the tactics and techniques and procedures? Um, but then you also want to sprinkle in some intelligence-like things, the what-if scenarios. What types of intellectual property have the adversaries gone after in the past? What are they interested in? How do they go for it? The second category of information is enterprise-relevant. Are they even interested in your intellectual property or who is interested and how good are they? And know what's important to you and focus on that. There's an old adage that applies here. If everything is important to you, then nothing is. So you really have to know what's important in your enterprise, systems, and data. And then finally, the third category is security operations technical capabilities. So what is it that your operations can see? What are you monitoring? What are you looking at? But more importantly, where are your blind spots? What are you not monitoring and what are you not looking at? That's often where you want to kind of pay attention, especially if you're a cyber threat intelligence expert. So if you analyze the combination of these three things, you'll be increasingly better able to boost your defenses and detection, probably keep some of the adversaries out and detect some of them earlier, or at least slow them down. (laughs) And of course, there's the necessity of applying traditional intelligence field techniques to security. And there's a great book out there, Structured Analytic Techniques for Intelligence Analysis, very long title, by Fairson and Hewer. The more time you spend learning these techniques and the more time you spend learning and applying 
these two studying adversary moves in context of your enterprise, the better you get at it. Just like chess. And this idea is fairly new to socks. So CTI is an area that has changed significantly over time. Casey, I'd add to that that the, you know, completely agree that the role of CTI has changed. You know, a decade ago, it was barely even considered. You know, then it kind of became that additional duty is assigned. And while that may still be the case from some smaller organizations, smaller socks where you don't have as many people, there really are more and more organizations that have elevated the role of a cyber threat intelligence analyst and really are looking for people to specialize in this area and to bring in um, some of that traditional intelligence mindset as well as the technical experience to try and bring those areas together to provide more value to the organization. Yeah, and the thing about cyber threat intelligence, it's kind of one of those things that's an afterthought at the moment, like we'll get good at these other things and then maybe we'll start looking at it. But it's if you get the right people and someone that are really good in applying their thinking, um, they'll save you a lot of money. They can help you understanding which of the cyber defense products are worthwhile for presenting their adversaries that are particular to your enterprise and which ones don't buy you anything at all. So it's a worthwhile investment, you know, with all the money we're putting out there for cyber products. It's worthwhile to get a great cyber intel specialist or two on your staff. What I keep hearing is, you know, this need for critical thinking and, um, you know, the things that you should be thinking of, the things that you are maybe not thinking of. And I want to ask you, Ingrid, if you can help us understand how or rather what practitioners should be thinking about beyond the traditional enterprise IP boundaries for security operations, things like cloud, mobile, operational technology. This was an area that was top of our mind right from the beginning. This was one of the key areas that we had, uh, you know, on our list to take up to our senior leadership as an area that we wanted to touch on. And it may seem like cloud is an old concept at this point, but many organizations are still struggling to figure out what they need to do from a security operations perspective. There's been more focus on how do we actually move to the cloud and a little bit less on then how do we monitor and protect in that area. Certainly, this is rapidly changing, um, but, you know, it continues to evolve. So, as you add in things like zero trust, it becomes even more complex to, you know, think about your sensing and monitoring strategy. So, we wanted to make sure that we included some key points to really, you know, help people get started in this area. So, an example of that is visibility. You know, one of the main challenges is how do you know what's actually happening in your cloud environment? At this point, many organizations hopefully have moved from, you know, monitoring just at the network boundaries to monitoring their hosts, which means they could be monitoring those hosts in the cloud. Um, But the fact is now that your, you know, endpoints are not actually within your own environment, that isn't enough. And there really are a lot of new types of telemetry that are available in the cloud. And so the SOC needs to go in and understand uh, what types of logs are available from the cloud provider? And they think, need to think about what types of events they can actually monitor. So that might be something like the logs around um, your compute resources and understanding, you know, changes in your system and software configuration. Those might not have been as relevant when you were doing things in your own data center. And then they need to be able to build workflows specific to those types of alerts. And that may mean re-looking at your seam, looking at your endpoint security agents, re-looking at your forensics tools. All of those are going to work a little bit differently in the cloud environment. So you really need to understand um, and work with your, your vendors in the community to think about how to implement all of those technologies and bring them together. 
And I'd also add with cloud, the SOC should be really vocal about helping their constituents, their business understand the type of information that they are or aren't going to get due to the service level agreements with their cloud providers. So the SOC should make sure that they know what they're responsible for and, you know, what they're going to do and also who to contact, you know, when an incident occurs and when they need to work with that cloud provider to resolve it. Um, this shift to that shared responsibility model is still a challenge for a lot of SOCs. It's still something that they, you know, if you're used to having all of the information in-house, it's a new way of thinking, again, where you've got to, you know, evolve your thinking in order to be able to pull all of that together. I think also as we were putting the book together, we wanted to really go beyond the cloud and start thinking about operational technology or OT. Um, this isn't something that most organizations would want to start with. Um, it's definitely a place where you want to make sure you've got a good handle on your routine SOC operations before you'd be thinking about going this route. But you know, that convergence with um, operational technology in your traditional IT enterprise is probably going to get stronger and stronger. And, you know, IT is most often associated with critical infrastructure. So, you know, this is your pipelines and your dams and, you know, those big systems. But it can include more routine elements, um, you know, things like your physical security monitoring cameras or a building management system, you know, for heating and cooling. All of those things can also be interconnected. And so an organization will need to start thinking about not only the damage that could be done if somebody, you know, was able to get in and change control settings on those um, types of technologies, but what happens when those systems are tied back to the main IT infrastructure and represent a point of weakness? You know, we acknowledge in the book there are a lot of challenges with instrumenting and monitoring OT compared to IT. There's different protocols that are used. There's so many device vendors that have proprietary software. There's restrictions on how you can monitor due to either the processing power of a particular technology or the age of the equipment. And there just aren't as many security products available yet. So in the book, we suggest a couple places to start. Um, that includes looking at the connection points between your OT and your IT networks or seeing if you've got OT systems that use you know, versions of commodity operating systems like Windows or Linux rather than custom systems. So trying to find those entry points for you to begin to look at your OT environment without having to go out and really dive as deeply to start with into all the custom protocols and custom systems. And we also highlight that some of the skills you've learned, you know, from traditional IT monitoring really are still going to be directly applicable. For example, it's really important to do Canadian understanding of what normal looks like so you can start looking for things that aren't. And that's something you would do within your own IT network, and it's something you can certainly do within an OT network as well, um, or the connections between your OT and your IT network. And while there are a lot of analysis tools that could potentially help you with this, you still want to invest in getting your analysts smart um, on the understanding of this is what to expect. This is how much traffic comes in. This is what a protocol looks like. This is how, you know, how we should expect this environment to behave so that they're going to be able to give that, you know, kind of heads-up warning when something is not as they're expecting. Um, and so I reemphasize, you know, this isn't the place where your SOC's going to... Your organization gets better at the more traditional types of monitoring. Uh, we wanted to make sure we were including in the book some of these ideas for things that you could have on your roadmap to really advance and mature your SOC into that next evolution. I love it. 
I, I'm just thrilled for both of you. You you both make the book sound so incredibly interesting. I am so excited for it to come out, for readers to grab hold of it and to, um, you know, get started with all of the guidance that you've offered here. I'm also so grateful to both of you for taking the time to join me today and to share your thoughts with our listeners. It's certainly an exciting time for both of you. Um, so thank you so much for carving out your time today. Before we wrap up, I'd just like to toss the baton to both of you. If either of you has any parting words for our listeners, maybe Catherine, we'll start with you. Yeah, I want to thank you for the time. Um, I am really hopeful that this updated second edition of the book will strike a chord for security operations centers that are out there. Um, but whether you're getting started in security or if you're a really advanced one and you want to kind of use it to see, do a diff almost between what you have and what might be in there. It might provide a means to examine your various functions, um, maybe to develop new capabilities, and perhaps think about a function or two in a different way that advances you forward. And I also really want to thank you for the opportunity to chat about this, uh, you know, Catherine and Curse and I are very, very passionate about getting this out to the community. We certainly didn't get to cover, you know, all aspects of what's in the book, but one thing I want to bring up is that we do have a chapter on the importance of communicating broadly, collaborating often, and sharing generously. And for us, this book is one of the ways that we're trying to live up to that strategy. And so my parting thought would be that I want to encourage everyone listening to think about what they can share back with the community. You know, no matter where you are in your cyber career, you're going to have a perspective and a set of experiences to offer. And so just as, you know, we're hoping that our experiences will be of value to others, I really hope everyone else will consider, you know, what they can put out to the community as well, because this is such a community-driven environment for learning. Absolutely. And if we can all think of those ways that we can pay it forward, we can work toward a more secure world. I love it. Ingrid and Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. A reminder that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. Interested in being a guest on one of our podcasts? Visit rsaconference.com forward slash become a contributor to learn more. Thank you all.